Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone and welcome to our brand new podcast, Is This Normal on Belfast Live. I'm Sheena McStravick. And I'm Claire O'Boyle and over the next six episodes we're going to take a look at weaning, sleeping, keeping our kids safe on social media, those astronomical childcare costs and all the other things that keep us awake at night, never mind the babies. So Sheena, you're 10 months in, how are you finding it? It was a massive shock to the system, but I mean that in, in, an, in an entirely good way. I mean, it's probably the best thing to ever happen us to have our little boy in our lives. Um, I'm one of these people who's all about routine and I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm a stickler, like he has to be in a routine, but I'm a routine person. So it's great that I think we're starting to get into that bit of a routine. He knows what's happening. I know what's happening. And given that's probably really important now that I'm back to work full time and, and trying to get everything organized in my life. <laughs> Definitely. And two, with two, the routine is definitely the thing, I think. It's the only way to keep yourself sane. One of the things we are taking a look at is weaning, and that will be the first topic today. How did you find weaning? How's it gone so far? Weaning was was pretty good for us, I have to say. Um, I started a little bit earlier. I know the, the guidelines, obviously, is, is six months. Um, Dara, my wee boy, was quite a baby who was bothered with silent reflux. So I was, and again, it was on the recommendations of our own healthcare provider. It wasn't something I just decided all to start weaning him. Um, that we did start a little bit early. I think he was about five and a half months. And yeah, it's been good. But obviously, there's still things I know I've struggled with along the way. I don't know if that was your experience when, when you were weaning your two. Oh, yes. I mean, to be honest, last night, um, Betsy, who's four, uh, was actually strapping noodles across her forehead so we're not entirely <laughs> there yet I don't think but um, it's been fun and they both love their food so yeah. whatever we did it's, it's kind of worked yeah they love their grub so that's that's so, yeah. only a good thing but there are so many questions there's so much information out there I know that myself from from over the last few months I've turned to google more times than I can count about weaning and, and should I give him this and is he allowed this and is it that so on that issue of weaning, we decided that the best thing to do is to get somebody who knows all about it. And somebody who is an expert in that field is Ailish McVeigh, who joins us today. And Ailish is a paediatric dietitian um, based in Antrim Area Hospital. And she also runs First Foods Weaning. So welcome, Ailish. So Ailish, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Um, my name is Ailish McVeigh and I'm a paediatric dietitian. So um, I work in the hospital generally. Um, and um, when I had my first baby, Shay, um, so he's 12 He's 12 months this week. Um, and when I had him, when I started looking at all the different weaning when I, started, when I started looking to go wean him myself, I noticed that actually all the advice that was out there was kind of against everything we would tell people in general. So everything I looked at was, right, oh, make, your, make them a special meal just for them. And everything we were taught as dietitians was make family foods and get your child to eat family foods. So 
because of that, I decided, right, I'm going to maybe start kind of educating people and looking at blogs. And so I started blogging and started doing First Foods weaning workshops as well. So that would be the advice then to when you're starting to wean your, your baby, have them at the dinner table? Yes. So our advi- my advice definitely would be having at the dinner table and your overall goal with weaning. And that actually is the definition of weaning is to get them onto actual family foods and get them what you're eating. Um, the big problem is if you start by making them separate fancy meals that you don't eat by the time they get to one and they realize actually oh you're eating something else well I I want what you're having and I don't want that I don't want that piece of cod that you made me lovely prepared that actually and you're sitting there eating a steak I want what you're eating so and I know Shay at the moment he'll literally whatever we're eating he has to have a bit of it so it's just about healthy family eating and getting them to eat what you're eating. And then I guess making sure if you're not eating very well, actually, as a whole family, that you're actually starting to prepare fresh foods and, and, and eating together as a family. And that brings us on, obviously, to a point just with, with weaning. And I think there is probably lots of conflicting information. And I think parents are probably a little bit confused when they start as to, you know, the, the probably obviously every parent wants the best for their kids and wants, wants to do it. But there's obviously the, the time it's time consuming everybody knows you know preparing even family meals I'm sure there's lots of people find it time consuming with work and if you work full time it's even worse um but yeah so there obviously is that ongoing debate of preparing your own foods and buying commercial products which are so readily available so convenient for parents on the go I mean what what are the kind of um health benefits I suppose to to both obviously preparing your own foods from scratch and maybe batch batch cooking and freezing um, or just buying jars and pouches that are readily available? Well, I think there's two points there. So I would say that, yes, I do a small amount of batch cooking, but I wouldn't do a whole load of it. If we're eating spaghetti bolognese, I then maybe take out a small bit for him to eat that night and then maybe I'll put a small bit away for the next day. So say we're having chicken fajitas. Well, he's not going to eat chicken fajitas maybe. But in general, I try and cook during the week family foods. So I'm not batch cooking either because... I'm working full time. I don't have time to spend five hours on a Sunday batch cooking. I want to be out with him and playing with him. So I try and make things like mild chicken curries that he can eat or spaghetti bolognese or fish and potatoes and meat so that the whole family are eating it together. And from about seven months, he he was doing that. Um, And then, as he said, I kept a small small bit extra on top of that and then froze some of that. So there's always something in the freezer if it's a day we're not having it. and then I guess in terms of commercial baby foods, um, it's they're great. They have their place and they're great in terms of, you know, if you're out and about, especially if you're traveling on a plane or something like that and you can't really bring something with you maybe on it. But I guess on a general day-to-day basis, we would we would say to try and stay away from them and only use them as and when needed. Um, the texture of them isn't isn't great so even a stage two jar or pouch while if you when you're making a stage two it the whole meal will be lumpy whereas in a jarred product or a pouch you'll just have random lumps and they generally as well if you do a taste test of them yourself they all taste very very similar and so it's important that they have their place but it's important that they're not used every single day because we do find actually that it causes issues with texture later and you'll find it difficult to get them onto family foods then. I know because we've noticed with um, our two wee girls, one's four and one's two. And with our first wee girl, I batch cooked everything. I was like a loony in the kitchen cooking for hours at a time. And it was great and she loved everything. But with our second wee girl, we've really just stuck her into whatever we're all eating. And at the minute now, um, my husband does all the cooking, I'll be honest. But she would 
eat whatever her version is, which is a slightly milder version of a curry yes, or something. Yeah. Ditch it, jump up on her knees and be eating the hotter version. She's really, really adventurous and really, um, she's much better with her food than her sister was. Um, just because she's eating what we're eating and she wants to be, you know, with, with her mummy and daddy eating all the hot stuff and all the all of that. I don't know if that's necessarily good for her. Are they okay to eat spices that's when they're little? absolutely perfect. Like if you think if you were if you were a child and you were living in India or something, you know, you'd probably be eating a really hot curry. You know, there's no there's no reason that they shouldn't be eating exactly what you're eating. Um, yeah, like obviously, you know, from a, a tongue point of view, you know, from a sensory point of view, some things could be too hot. But yeah, we find the exact same thing. Shay loves curry. He loves chili con carne now, like and from a really really young age he loves you know real spicy things hot things things that have loads of herbs and spices and we would say definitely try and introduce those things from a really early age yeah yeah i know i'm probably i'm first time mum obviously as well and my um my little boy's just turned 10 months and i'm probably guilty of the the batch cooking and the you know the separate meals and not so much because you know I had the time to do it i obviously did have more time when i was off maternity leave but having returned to work full time i know my hours and minutes are are limited to the second so I have now got into a habit of you know making sure he's having what we're having and again he was like that as well from the start everything I've given him he's loved and it was at the same time I was cooking family meals but almost making them entirely separate for him which was silly so we might have been having spaghetti bolognese one night and he might have been having it two nights later. It was just, and it was silly. So, I mean, now I kind of have got onto the habit and, and he is, he, he's responded really well to texture and lumps, which kind of leads me on to something else I know I experienced when, when starting to wean him. He was quite bad with silent reflux as a child when he was when he was very young. And to a point he kind of, I don't think, well, I think he's starting to come out of it now. Um, but when we started introducing foods and weaning him, I had a complete probably terrifying experience with um finger foods and he seemed to be well at that stage I put it down to oh he was a really choky gaggy baby he couldn't accept them couldn't you know at that stage probably hadn't many teeth and I was saying oh he can't have these types of foods um now I haven't obviously come through it I understand that it was just you know it, it is normal yeah, for children to choke and time. gag yeah so I mean what are your kind of your top tips for things like that because I know obviously there is the baby led versus spoon fed and I know I'm sure from from your perspective it's probably a combination of both is recommended yeah we, we I would recommend first of all, we would and I would recommend both um reason being that is the actual current guideline and people get confused about that like the department of health guideline isn't spoon feeding the department of health guideline is spoon feeding with finger fruits from six months so you're talking you know once you start if you start weaning at six months you would give maybe spoon feeds maximum probably two weeks at stage one really really smooth purees to thicker purees and by two weeks by six and a half months really you know you should be on to lumpy stage and you should be on to finger foods at that stage so that's quite quick mm-hmm. and you know when you when you use the when you say six months and I guess that's what everybody goes by but obviously I know that a lot of people go a little bit early and how do you how do you know when your kid's ready to wean so there are there are four main signs that you should notice so the department of health um recommends six months but then they actually also state in their guidelines no earlier than 17 weeks and the european guidelines say no later earlier than 17 weeks and that's at the british dietetic association that's what we go by so we go by no earlier than 17 weeks and no later than six months it's actually important that we're not delaying past six months and it's also important that we're not uh, weaning before 17 weeks so that's just over four months. So that's yeah, that's pretty early actually. It's pretty it's early, yeah, it is. Um, but the reason being is that 
um, the, before that time they feel that the gut and the kidneys aren't mature enough and um, so it would be quite early like we would say to try and stick up to the six months as possible but you will find that depending on your baby if, if they had very bad reflux or something like that or for different medical reasons your consultant might say you know depending may start earlier but that is if you're going to start that early you should really discuss that with your health visitor or your GP. Yeah I know because the first time that whenever I had Betsy <coughs> was my first daughter I did everything by the book I was like waiting for this arbitrary date of six months yeah. you know yeah. right down to the day and it's like right she's ready for some spuds but you know I don't know if that was a wee bit over the top probably because I didn't do the same the second time around. So there are actually four key signs that you're looking out for between that period of time so those signs are that they're able to sit up and they're able to hold their head up and um, that they're able to like grab something and put it in their mouth and they have that coordination and then the other thing is is that they don't have this thing called um a tongue thrust reflux so if you're starting to spoon feed them like earlier and you find before six months and you find that actually more food is around their mouth than is actually going in their mouth and they're actually they're kind of sticking their tongue back out and that means they're not ready as well so you're looking for them to be able to sit up hold their head up be able to coordinate and pick up a finger food and put it in their mouth and that they can take more into their mouth as well. Okay, so they're good signs to look out for. They're the signs we generally say. Other things people will talk about are things like waking up too early. And I think, well, did everyone get that? The grandparents grandparents saying, yeah, so they're waking up four months. You need to start weaning them. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not a sign. That's a sleep <laughs> progression. Um, and that's a, a developmental time just a, a really bad developmental time for a baby and actually um it, it's nothing to do with with them being hungry or not yeah that's the myth that everybody clings to it's like they're starving it's a starving <laughs> yeah. baby give them some potatoes yeah so that's yeah. not true no no that doesn't true. help I think but I think we've <laughs> <laughs> all been there and thought oh no I think let me just give them start them on start them on spoon feeds I think that's that's exactly what they need that's why they're waking up early and that is a yeah. complete myth <laughs> wishful thinking yeah it doesn't work <laughs> Sadly. Um, and one of the other things that we had talked about um, that that um, could be an issue for, for parents starting out is introduction of foods that could be potentially, um, that could uh, the kids could be potentially allergic to. What would your advice be on that and what should parents look out for? So in terms of allergies, actually, there was a lot of research done in the last kind of two, three years about um, allergens. And actually, the current guideline is, is that from six months, you should be introducing all of your allergens. So no need to delay, introduce all your allergens from six months. So that includes things like nuts. And um, so in terms of nuts, never whole nuts, always like using some kind of smooth butter nut. Um, so like peanut, smooth peanut butter or smooth cashew butter. Um, I would generally recommend just dipping it on your lip the first time. So just a tiny rub on the gum the first time, first thing in the morning. Don't give them any uh, anything more that day wait the next day then give them a very small amount if there's no reaction um, on a piece of bread or whatever and then continue then on from then that way if they have a reaction you've not actually given them any you've just rubbed it on the gum yeah because there were a couple of things that we encountered it was a friend of ours actually their their daughter um had hummus when she was just over six months which i guess is something that you would think would be fine for a baby it's yeah. smooth it's you know it's nice whatever you can put on a cracker or whatever um and let them tear away but she had an a, a quite a severe allergic reaction and it turned out she was allergic to sesame so is that something that how would you advise going about hummus so again yeah so sesame is would be a high allergen food so again i would just again something like that just rub on the gum or if it's another example of that would be egg as well so like using a scrambled egg again just rubbing it on the gum the first time and then the next day maybe giving them more if they've had no reaction 
Well, it's funny you should say egg because whenever um, my daughter Alice was about seven months old, I left my two girls in the care of my husband and he gave her an enormous bowl of scrambled eggs. <laughs> she came out in hives and as I was driving home, I said, how's everybody? And he said, well, yeah, everybody's grand except Alice had a massive allergic reaction and she's covered in hives. Is it something to do with like dense protein or what's that about with eggs or so, with uh, small babies? So an allergy to anything is, is always to the protein. So if you have an allergy to something, it's it's a, it's an allergy to the protein that you're reacting to. Um, actually, the most recent guidelines suggest that the more you avoid uh, these kind of allergens, so eggs, nuts and things like that, if you don't give them before the first year of life, actually you're increasing the risk of having an allergy to them. So unfortunately, there's nothing you do. And also, you can't test for these things until they've actually eaten them and they've had a reaction. So we can't actually do anything about it really until, you know, we can't randomly, if you come into an allergy clinic, we can't just randomly test for different things. So you need to introduce the foods. But as I said, try and introduce just a very small amount and maybe keep some puritan in the house or another brands. Yeah. <laughs> so other, an antihistamine in the house. Okay, and so the advice is start with very, very small quantities yeah, of, the, yeah. of all these things. Things okay. of all your high allergen foods. So things yeah. like fish, eggs, nuts. Start off with the small amounts, but do introduce from six months. And then once you introduce it, try and give kind of two to three times a week then from then. Okay, all right, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah it is, because I know that that's something that probably people... There, and I think just what you mentioned about eggs, there, there's probably conflicting information and it's probably been around for, for quite a while. Yeah, and yeah. Obviously, as being 21st century parents, the first thing we all do is um, go to uh, go, go to Google and ask the question. You know, should we do this? Is is you know is this is this what we should be given from this age? And and there is probably so much conflicting information. Given that a search engine of Google size probably brings in you know guidelines from America and from all over the world. Absolutely, yeah. So it's probably so definitely no definitely they're all same because even at that actually if you're a baby who has a high risk of allergy, so a really bad family history of allergy or um, has very bad eczema um, then actually they're saying nearly from four to six months that these allergens should be introduced but you should only do that with guidance from your consultant from an allergist um, but yeah they're definitely going towards more early introduction rather than late introduction okay and possibly another another issue that, that parents might find I know I kind of had a little bit of experience with this with with my boy um, and it was for a while, I can't remember exactly which stage he was at with the weaning process, but he seemed to almost, for it was seemingly well established, you know, loved everything I, I, I put in front of him and all of a sudden <clears throat> completely started to refuse the more savoury dinner style foods and was only accepting, you know, fruit and yogurts and things at that stage. Well, to me, in my eyes, they were, they were just sweet um, I mean, is there is there a phase that children go through? Because initially, I was sitting saying, "Oh God, no, he's never going to go back and eat savory foods again. He's just, you know, developed a sweet tooth." Um, but in fact, now probably on reflection, he was going through a probably really bad phase of teething and just probably just wanted things yeah. that were soothing for his gums. So, I mean, is there a, is there a way to combat that? Because I know friends of mine have mentioned that it, it happened. It has happened with them as well. Yeah. So I would agree. I'd say that it probably was a teething phase, and it probably was that those things were cold on his gums and they were nice on his gums. And um, also, we're born innately with a really sweet tooth. So breast milk is sweet. The formula is sweet. Um, and then we don't go towards those kind of bitter. Um, you know, bitter green vegetables and savoury things straight away. So that's why they are recommending now kind of first veg, first weaning as well. And um, if you follow Joe Wicks, you'll see mm -hmm. he he's all for first um, 
for veg first weaning as well. Um, so they're recommending that you introduce those things first and then that gives them a good um, kind of starting point towards um, vegetables. And they think that if you introduce those ve- those kind of bitter green vegetables and other vegetables first, that actually you're more likely to continue eating veg. Mm-hmm. Um, if you kind of have that sudden change over... I think you just have to kind of go with it. But I, what I would say is, is don't take away the savoury. Yeah. Continue to offer, you know, don't don't ever take those things away. You know, I find with Shay, like a lot of the time, he like, he'll be eating his vegetables. So he'll like broccoli and he'll like green beans and he'll like carrots. And then for two weeks, he'll just decide, no, I don't like that yeah. anymore. But exposure, it's all about exposure. Don't take those things away. Keep yeah. them there. Keep them on the tip plate. Don't change what you're offering. If you find that your baby is like turning their head away and refusing things, then then just take it away. Don't keep pushing it and make meal times as stressful. Don't take away the fruit and the yogurt. Mm-hmm. If you already like, I would always offer a sa- his savory, so his meal, and then I would always offer kind of fruit and a yogurt after it as well. What you want is that those things aren't better than the savory. So you don't want is is that actually sweet things are way better than savoury things. So offer the savoury, offer the sweet, and even if he doesn't eat the savoury, still offer the yoghurt and the fruit afterwards as well. Yeah, no, <clears throat> excuse me, at that at that time as well, I, I think I, I, within a mild panic, thinking, oh, this is never, he's never going to go back to eating savoury foods, and I, I did actually Yogi. consult my own health visitor, and, and her advice was, like, go with him during this phase, work with him. If, if he does seem to only want it, just give him that. But as you said, continue to offer the savoury, which is what I did do, and I think... It lasted all of about two weeks and he was back shoveling his potatoes into him like they, like they were going out of fashion. Yeah, absolutely. They go through such phases though, don't they? Because I know like even like Shay was sick recently and he that was him. He was just off everything. He wouldn't eat anything. And I just had to go with him and just not, not just let him not eat that week really. Um, but then sure, the week after then, God, he made up for it. Yeah. <laughs> he ate everything inside. It's reassuring to hear you saying that. So if they go, if they have a kind of a non-eating phase, just go with it because they're not going to starve essentially if they're if they're hungry they'll eat yeah yeah because I know of, you know a few of my friends have have real problems with their with their kids or have had you know during toddler time when they just don't seem to eat my girls will sit and shovel food into them and it'll just be a bit more difficult um so but and it does seem to create a bit of tension for families when when their children are refusing to eat absolutely and I think that we all get really really stressed out about it but as long as you know like on their centile chart so in their red book they'll have a centile chart and as long as they're growing along their normal centiles and they're not like dropping lines then you just really have to go with it and what I would say is, is don't get into the habit of oh they didn't eat I'm going to give them what they want so you know they want chips and chicken nuggets I'll know they'll eat that so that's what I'll give them no you sit them down at a table 20 minutes if they don't eat after 20 minutes you just take it away and don't make a fuss over it we don't starve our children these days like we feed them every two hours we feed them a breakfast a snack then a dinner then a lunch then a snack then a supper we never starve them these we're constantly feeding them and probably overfeeding them nearly at this stage and um, so just roll go with it but don't offer something different and don't make a big massive fuss over it that they haven't eaten because the more you make pressurized meal times and try and shove a spoon in their mouth the more they're going to resist so just kind of take a step back and just breathe and in your head go a bit mad but don't let on to them (laughs) (laughs) i'm not interested actually as well about overfeeding our kids is that something we need to start worrying about when they're way 
Um, no, generally not. No, I, no. when they're small, they'll know their own appetite. It's just about you not overfeeding them rather than they won't overfeed themselves, but it is about you overfeeding them. Um, and it is about just, as I said, you're going to have days where they're going to eat loads and days where they're not going to eat much at all. And parents are dying to know about portion sizes for mm-hmm. children yeah. like under two. Oh, yeah. That was my next point, actually, because it, it, it's confusing. Yeah, and there just isn't. There yeah. is no guidelines. And the reason for that is, is because, like, as I said, you're going to have times when they're teething and days where they'll eat nothing for two days and then the next day they'll eat everything around them like there's days she'll eat one Weetabix and the next day I nearly have to give him Weetabix and fruit and a yogurt and a piece of toast in the morning the next day he'll not really at all but you just have to go by them and their signs and it's just about you kind of tuning into them and what their appetite is and when they look bored like Shay what Shay does now when he's finished he starts throwing it on the ground like a game And I just straight away pick him up and take him out of the chair now yeah. because that's when he's done, you know, mm-hmm. and you just need to try and tune into them. And that, unfortunately, though, yeah. no portion sizes for that age. <laughs> so with choking and gagging, obviously, it is it is an issue, obviously, for some parents when they when they start. And I think probably with finger foods in particular, I mean, what are what are the signs, I suppose? I know choking and gagging, I only learned, obviously, after a few months that they're incredibly different. And there's one stage, obviously, when you do need to take action and step in. And there's another one where you kind of, the baby can work it themselves. So, I mean, how, what, what should we be looking out for? So I think this is definitely something that terrifies everyone. And then when we have patients coming into clinic with us and parents are, you, you know, you go through their diet and they're kind of nine months old and you're like, oh, have you introduced finger foods? And they're like, no, I'm terrified. I couldn't possibly. And what they do is they just introduce those, you know, like the corn puff kind of things because yeah. They are the foods that are kind of safe because they're dissolved. Um, and I think it's about, they're a great food to start on because actually, you know, they, they do dissolve in the mouth and not for the child, but for the parents, they give them they give them confidence to kind of move on. But what we would say is, is don't stick to those foods and try and move on to other finger foods, um, like, like different vegetables and fruit um, and those kind of soft um, finger foods. In terms of your gagging and your choking, so they actually are the opposite of each other. So actually gagging actually is your baby not choking. It's their defense against choking. So if they're red and they're coughing and they're making loads of noise, they're not choking. And actually you just need to sit back and maybe put your hand under their mouth so that you'll catch the food so that they know that you're there and they know that you're, you know, you're going to kind of catch it for them. So yeah, if they do turn blue, then that's it. Yeah, it's your time to kind of step in and take action then. Yeah, no, it's, it is. It is a scary time. I know that myself, and I, I'm probably as, as guilty as others of, of holding back certain foods because because I know Dara, my wee man, was was a really he was a refluxy baby, so he kind of he struggled with a lot of things, and then finger food started, and he had his first kind of you know what I thought was choking. Obviously, he was just gagging, and I probably because he saw me get distressed. He got distressed and yeah, then that, I think that just threw everything into chaos. But obviously, I think the lesson from that is just, you know, try again and, and, and just, you know, take it easy and, and do do obviously keep keep introducing. Absolutely, because finger food art is so important, you know. So what I'm saying, yeah, you know, you definitely need to be introducing your finger foods from kind of six and a half months because it's not actually to do with nutrition nearly at that point because they are getting enough from their milk and from their spoon feeds probably. But from a social point of view and actually from a speech speech point of view, like that's them learning to use their tongue, um, which is so important in order for their speech to develop. Yeah. And just with um, with cooking your own foods and you, you obviously had mentioned about making, you know, family meals and making everything for the family and sitting down together and eating the same stuff. Um, 
Are there certain ingredients we possibly shouldn't include in our baby's food? I know you'd mentioned about taking, you know, maybe some of your spaghetti bolognese out before you add certain ingredients. Is there, is there things we should avoid before a certain age? So absolutely. So from a salt point of view, um, we definitely look at not introducing more than one gram of salt into their diet during the day, which I think, yeah, and got, it adds up so, so fast. You know, by the time, you know, there's salty foods like cheese even or anything like that. So what I would generally say is if I'm making a spaghetti bolognese, for example, I will take... Um, the stock won't put in the stock cube for ourselves until I take out his portion um, or what I other things I try and do in terms of stock cubes is use very low um, very low salt stock cubes so you'll get them in any of your supermarkets um, Callow is, is an extremely low one um, and it's probably the lowest um, in terms of in terms of low salt stock cubes yeah and then with sugar is that another thing that we should I know sugar's obviously it's a massive topical debate where kids are concerned but even with babies sugar's something we should be careful with so absolutely so actually the World Health Organization say that babies should have absolutely no sugar under two so uh, under two the World Health Organization are saying none which I would say that that is not happening <laughs> at all um, but definitely under one we should be trying to give absolutely no sugar and so what about fruit and things like yeah, that yeah natural sugars so natural are... sugars are absolutely fine okay. and that's a different situation but um you're looking at you know your your actual table sugar and um, we don't definitely know honey until one year because oh. it actually contains life-threatening bacteria so under one no honey and then it's about looking out for all of those hidden sugars um, and they are if you're in the baby aisle um, they're probably the worst so in terms of your yogurts and things like that you'll see loads of concentrated fruit sugars concentrated fruit juice concentrated fruit purees um, in loads of their products and they are just sugar by another name a fancy way of disguising sugar I suppose really fancy way of disguising sugar and if you look at your yogurts I, I did a blog on it recently and you, a low sugar product should be one that contains less than five grams of sugar per hundred gram and if you look in the supermarket aisles at the children's yogurts or the so-called children's or baby yogurts, majority of them will be about 9, 9.5, 10 grams of sugar per 100 gram. Oh, flip. Okay. Yeah, so your recommendations with, with the likes of yogurts and things is just plain natural yogurt and mix in a bit of fruit. Is that yeah. the best way to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So plain, uh, we, I generally say go for a Greek style mm -hmm. kind of yogurt just because it's that thicker kind of fromage very kind of, you know, not, you know, natural yogurt is kind of very thin sometimes. Yeah. So like a, a Greek style natural yogurt, adult style, save your money as well. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no Absolutely, bad for the whole family. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so what are the problems with sugar? Obviously the teeth, but that's not that's not the issue really when it comes to, to sugar mainly for kids. What would your concern be and what do parents really need to take into consideration before they give their kids sweets? So in terms of your sugar content, you're looking at, you know, sugar generally from a calorie point of view. So they're um, kids have a really, really small stomach um, and that's why we're feeding them kind of little and often. Um, and within that um, times that we're feeding them, we need to be making sure that we're getting the most amount of nutrition within those small meals that they are eating. So from a vitamin, mineral point of view, we need to be giving them good carbohydrates that are going to sustain them as well. So if you're giving them sugar, they're going to be filling up on these on this sugar which is empty calories it doesn't contain any vitamins and minerals and they're not going to be getting what they need and um, kids are coming into the hospital all the time with um, iron deficiency anemia and um, so it's really important that we're getting good foods that are nutritious into them and if we're giving them sugary foods they're going to be filling up on those and not taking your nutritious foods 
And so how young are children coming into you with deficiencies? Oh, really, really young. So um, iron deficiency mania, you could be talking less than a year. So our iron sources deplete from six months. And that's why we were talking about earlier on about like when should we start to wean. And it's really important that we are weaning by six months because at six months, your iron, your zinc um, and a lot of your vitamins and minerals are going to start to have depleted. Um, so if we're not getting in good nutritious foods, especially iron rich foods at that stage, you could find by six by kind of seven, eight months that actually their iron sources have depleted. And so with iron, would that be um, problematic for people who are bringing their kids up? And I'm sure this has happened a bit more and more vegetarian. Yes, that can be an issue as well. But, you know, there's no reason if they are bringing their children up vegetarian that they can't still meet their iron sources. You know, they'll just probably use what we call non-heme iron sources. So your heme iron is kind of your red meat, your, your you know, or iron that's really easily absorbed. Um, and then you have non-heme iron, which you can get from fortified breakfast cereals. Uh, so something like um, kind of a very smooth porridge, kind of ready break kind of um, breakfast cereal or different other cereals that you can use. Um, and then also kind of green leafy vegetables, those kind of things. So there's lots of ways we can get iron without necessarily from meat sources. She was so interesting, wasn't she? Absolutely. I mean, there was so, I mean, I know I'm only into it 10 months, but there's so much stuff I've already learned. I mean, really, really shocking about, about sugar and, and, and yogurts. I mean, that's something, these products are being marketed for children. They're being marketed even for, you know, baby yogurts and they're containing alarming levels of sugar. So absolutely really, really interesting stuff to take away there. And the fact that the World Health Organization says no sugar for kids under two, yeah. I think we're a wee bit potentially too late on that yeah I know but to be well, totally honest it's a learning curve isn't it <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to us we will be back next week to talk about all things sleep subscribe on the feed or check out Belfast Live for more details see you next week <laughs> <laughs>